0: Welcome back, everyone, to Yex Talks The Next Wave. Today, we are real excited to talk with April Underwood on remote work, industries that deserve investment, and the future of local. April, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Certainly, I was introduced to you through our CMO. I'd love for you to tell, start with your background and how you got here. We want to learn a bit about you. Also, I know that you were at Twitter and Slack. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then we want to dive into nearby and angels as soon as we can.
1: Well, I got my start in Texas. I'm uh a, Multi generation Texan that broke the chain by moving west to Silicon Valley. I guess I actually, you know, didn't know anything about the tech sector or um, really even just private sector in general. That's not, you know, kind of I didn't have exposure to that growing up. And so when I got to college, I had started as a chemical engineering major because I'd done well in chemistry in high school. And so I, you know, I was eighteen and I figured it's just a straight line. And I pretty quickly realized that it wasn't for me. I ended up giving up a bunch of my scholarships in order to change my major which was a financial burden for my family um, and one that you know I was going to be saddled with in the form of student loans for a long time. So I, I got a part-time job. And I found a job doing tech support for internet service providers. And the year was 1998. And people had dial-up modems. And when they couldn't get connected, they called tech support. And you would get me or somebody else I was sitting alongside. And we would help walk you through your modem driver ins- reinstallation and reinstallation and configuration and all that sort of stuff. So what I realized pretty early on was that I could fire myself from that job by learning another one. And so I started to teach myself to code. And so I started building the training modules for the other folks in the call center and basically fired myself from that frontline support. And that skill of kind of like getting comfortable with that concept, but also like intentionally firing yourself from the jobs that you either don't want to do or that you don't think, you know, kind of play to your strengths is something that really has come in handy throughout my career at a lot of growth companies. So I'll fast forward a bunch. I became a software engineer. I worked at places like Intel and Travelocity. I made the transition into product management because I asked why too much, which is the way you become a product manager. The thing that I, that started at Travelocity was a common thread throughout my career, which is platforms, because there's such an interesting confluence of technology, business strategy, marketing, understanding users, understanding shared users and trying to find like the middle of the Venn diagram between like what one company wants and what another company wants and find spaces in there that that actually meet user needs, but actually create business opportunity. And so, you know, through my work at Travelocity, then later at Google and then Twitter, and then ultimately joining Slack as its its first head of platform and then transitioning into running all a product platform has just been ever present in the work that I've loved the most throughout my career.
0: It's interesting that you used the words confluence and sort of just the, the driver of the future because we actually agree wholeheartedly when we think about platforms, I think they're the enabler of really where most of the new future technologies are coming from. What new business lines are out there? Realistically, it almost feels like every business at this point is a series of APIs. And if you have a platform, you can turn your laundromat into an API, and it's going to service more people more efficiently. Which kind of brings me a little bit to the two things you're doing today, which is uh, nearby and also angels. But can we start with nearby? Because... If anything, that it seems like you're building or what you're seeing this opportunity in is this whole opportunity to help local businesses who typically don't necessarily think platform and don't see the world quite that way. Tell us a little bit about Nearby and what you're doing there.
1: My high level kind of pithy one-liner on on platforms is that like an API is not a platform. And I think that's like one of the fundamental things that gets misunderstood in the industry is that, you know, a company will... You know, they have apis to power their own product and they're like well we should have a platform strategy so we'll just take those apis and then we'll expose them to the world and dot 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 now we're this like you know now we have a moat that's not the way it works i have worked at a few companies when they've started with that strategy and helped play a role in in guiding them towards a strategy that is really business and product use case led, so that you are exposing developer capabilities that serve a clear need that is aligned with the business that you're building and the interests of the users that you're serving. I could talk a lot about that, and I have before. But what I'll say is that when you come to something like Nearby, it, the vision is absolutely a platform. But the experience for our customers, both shoppers as well as local merchants, needs to be such that they never need to think about that word. And so let me start by telling you what we're doing at Nearby. So the need that we're solving for is that consumers want to shop local. They're looking for alternatives to Amazon and other large retailers. They understand that Shopping Local puts money into the pockets of their neighbors who own the local businesses and supports their local economy. That Shopping Local keeps Main Street from being a series of empty, blighted storefronts and instead makes their community vibrant. So they understand that, but it's still as hard to shop local in 2021 as it was like 20 years ago. It's just, it's been one of the sort of things that got left behind <laughs> in the internet and for systemic reasons and the systemic reason was that the ROI just has not been there for local businesses to invest in selling online when they do stand up online stores which especially over this past year they've been making a shift in that direction for decades but now they they you know there was a really radical acceleration of that last year nobody shows up You know, there's no foot traffic on the web, which, of course, you guys know being in search, you need tools that help people actually find the stuff that's out there. And so even in your own community, it's really hard to know which stores sell online, how you can buy from them, when you would get the items from them, and how much it's going to cost you out the door. And so for consumers, we need to build an experience that gives... Shopper is what we've come to expect, which is that you can show up to a place, you can shop across a bunch of stores and it shows up to your door within a couple of days. And so that's what we're building with nearby. And we have our first pilot in Oakland and it's called Keep Oakland Alive. And anybody can go shop there. All of our listeners can go support 40 Oakland businesses right now by going and placing an order on our site and it'll show up at your door within a handful of days. And so that's the promise for consumers. Consumers say they want this It's still too hard, but when it's easy, they show up and they will show up time and again. For merchants... What they need is an e-commerce team that works on their behalf. Selling online is not set it and forget it. It's like you stand at the online store, that's step one. Now you have a grind of driving people to your site like for the rest of time. And so that's brand, that's demand gen, that's all of the different sort of muscles, let alone the fulfillment piece that costs these merchants money. So that when people rarely do show up to their online store and buy from them, those orders are low margins for those merchants. And so we're looking to solve for that. With a platform that basically creates some economies of scale at the community level, where I've basically staffed an e commerce team for the city of Oakland, and we can add more stores every week and we can support that growth. And so for Nearby, the platform is a mix of the software that we're building, but also the services that we're providing and the branding that we're doing to attract an audience. And so it is really the culmination of so many things that I've gotten the chance to work on over my career
0: at Yext for, you know, more than 10 years, we've been helping local businesses get found by fixing all the data that's out there in Google and other sites so that you could find the place. Because as my wife used to joke, if if you go somewhere and it's closed or the business has moved and you're frustrated, that's my husband's fault, right? Because we've been working on that problem for a very long time and it's still not solved. It's a very difficult problem to solve because of the the, the multiple platforms and also sort of the, the meaning how people have engaged To find local businesses, engage with them. But what I love about this model is I was also looking at the opening jobs that you had uh, nearby, and it looks like there's also content strategies that you said. So it's not just the e-com, but you're also going to tell the story, if I will, of these businesses to help drive and bring more traffic. Can you tell me a little bit about the strategy? Because there is something beautiful about yes, solve the e-com side. But driving the traffic and getting the traffic is also sometimes about the content strategy, which once again, for most small business owners, they come home Saturday night, they're exhausted. They're not ready to write a 1500 word blog on why you should shop Oakland. So how how do you see that fitting into the overall
1: picture? you can't separate the two. I mean, honestly, um, especially in this day and age, there has to be storytelling. There needs to be an editorial program. One of my very first hires was a writer and she used to be an editor at the Bold Italic, which is a popular publication in the Bay Area, and then worked on community at Yelp back when it was early. All of those platforms, whether they were on the sort of media side or local or other different sort of like angles on this problem over the last couple of decades, they've all stopped short of actually delivering the customer all the way through the transaction. And that is because there are, you know, historically the product catalogs have not not been digitized. The inventory has not been up to date and merchants have made great strides around this, but also I think that this is a unique moment in time where the team that I'm building can actually solve that like once and for all. And it takes a little bit of hubris to say you're going to go after a business opportunity that like where a lot of people have tried this before and have failed. But this is a unique moment in time. And it's a mix of technology behaviors and, and cultural and movement, you know, a more humanitarian sort of focus. In people's actions where people are starting to realize that their actions matter, whether it's for the environment, to their local community, to their neighbors. And so if those can be some of the silver linings that come out of this dumpster fire year, we're all going through, then that's a good thing because it's long overdue.
0: Speaking of which, I know that Nearby was founded as a public benefit corporation, which I also think ties into a little bit of the future of how people think, whether it's the support of these local businesses, humanitarian, yes, the dumpster fire. But the dumpster fire has also almost pushed us out of the last vestiges of the industrial revolution into the knowledge revolution, right? Where we're we're really finally letting go of some of these these practices. But to your point... It's gotta be invisible. The platform has to be so easy that for the merchants and for the the consumers that you sort of it disappears and really just that feeling of walking into that local store digitally is 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 represented. How do you see the approach in working with the merchants themselves? Because Getting 40 merchants, let's say, in, your, in one of your first cities is, is one thing. Then you're talking about sort of opening it up to all these other great neighborhoods and towns around the country and hopefully the world. What's your approach? How's the next step for blowing this out and helping them understand the value of this platform?
1: Yeah, well, there's two pieces to it one is that our team we're going to be building a team in those communities of people that are of those communities. So we actually do the fulfillment and because of that we are in the our merchant stores multiple times a week picking up orders that we have driven to those stores and it's a very different way to get to know your customer than a typical software sort of proposition where you walk in the front door and you try to sell them some software. We walk in the door and say, "Hey, how's it going Ami? Like, you know, are you still running into that bug on your econ platform? Like we have real conversations with these owners about their personal lives around their business, et cetera. And so it's just like, it's, we are real members of the community there in Oakland and we will be in the market. So we go into, so that's, that's one aspect of it is that I think people are sick and tired of, you know, kind of faceless technology plays where it's like, a big tech company coming in and like showing up as like the knight on the white horse saying, well, we have the answer and you know, we just, we know something you don't about your business and we're here to tell you how to do it. And so uh, we couldn't be more different sort of in how we're approaching the merchants, which is part of the reason I incorporated us as a public benefit court because I, I like I can stand by that. Like our public benefits are to create economic opportunity for the businesses on our platform and also to use our platform as a means for positive climate change. Cause when you shop local, you're doing both. It's like a small form of community activism where you're supporting your local businesses and you're deciding to buy something from down the street instead of from a, you know, distribution center across the country. And so I do think that there's a cultural movement afoot where there's a real appetite for that. So while we're doing it because we think it's the right thing to do and the way we want to build a company, I think over time consumers are going to demand that. Now on the second half of this is that another sort of radical idea is that we're we're really embracing the local community, including local government and adjacencies that have an interest in a platform like nearby existing. So in Oakland, for example, there is a mask that was, I believe, the, the brainchild of the Chamber of Commerce. It's a face mask and it says Oak Proud on it. It has a hashtag on it. They're selling it for eight bucks and the proceeds go to the Alameda County Food Bank. But there is no online store for the city of Oakland. Like, there's not a place you go to buy things like that. So, they came to us and they asked if they could sell it on Keep Oakland Alive. And we said, of course. And so, we're selling it on Keep Oakland Alive. And because of that, there are billboards around the city telling folks to wear their masks, promoting this Oak Proud mask, and driving those residents to go buy that mask on our marketplace. And so, you know, that was something that came to us. And for me, just highlighted the fact that chambers of commerce, business improvement districts and even city hall really need there to be an online destination for commerce in a given community and there isn't one. And so we're going to be looking for opportunities to team up with those entities because we think there's just there's so much there there.
0: It's interesting because I've seen, obviously, there's a lot going online between sort of the city of San Francisco, the city of New York, and the city of Miami, and this back and forth. And I know the mayor in Miami is, you know, all over the social media on, you know, come to Miami, and, you know, he's opening up this office of venture capital and all this stuff. And it's really, it's it's actually kind of an interesting story because I haven't seen that, that level of engagement. But as you just said, there's... Tons of government agencies and local communities that would be willing to participate. And what I love about that is, in order to really win online these days, there's just too much information and people will think locally, but you still have to have a big presence of a lot of different content strategies to capture that. So that when I ask the question, where can I get this type of item or this service in Oakland, that it's going to show up. Because for so many of these small businesses, it's just a battle uphill against brands, quite frankly. And businesses that have way more money to throw at that. But if you have the benefit and the backing of not only the local governments and then a bunch of other businesses, you probably can string together enough of that content to really help people search and find those businesses easily.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, the real vision here is to give these entire communities, the tool set that they need to bring that local commerce activity into, you know, into the modern age, but we want to give them the tool set and we're going to help them. And we're going to like, actually like make it to so like, we're going to take some stuff just completely off the plates of a lot of different sort of entities in that model, but it's going to be extended over time. It is a platform play. Like there are going to be ways in which this platform can be used that we can't anticipate and that are going to be different from one community to the next.
0: I want to sort of take a step to the side here, because I think for many businesses that are excited about sort of reopening up, there's the whole other side of the discussion around, oh my gosh, what does the future of work look like these days, right? So I think you started at Slack in 2018, is is that about right?
1: 2015. 2015.
0: And so when, when you started, you went all the way up to chief product officer. And in that time... I would love to hear your ideas on having built that and now seeing the rocket ship given the work from home sort of shift. Do you think this is where it stays? Do you think it's a hybrid? What do you think happens with all the technologies that have sort of enabled this as we kind of hopefully start, you know, getting the vaccine out and really starting to uh, travel and get back to work? Do you do you anticipate a major shift or what what do you see for the future of work?
1: Yeah, well, I mean. We're so lucky (laughs) that if something like this was going to happen in our lifetimes, it happened at a time where we had... The tools that we have. I mean, we're kind of talking about the workplace, but also I just, I oftentimes think about like, well, what if, what if Instacart did not yet exist? What if, what if Amazon didn't exist? You know, like, I mean, there are, you know, these resources, these different technology platforms have been instrumental in helping people to be able to have some amount of continuity in their lives and to, and also to be able to kind of shift their life and work styles on a dime, which is really incredible. It's just like such a thought exercise to think about like, what if this had happened in 1995? I just, you know, I'd I'd venture to guess that there would have been a lot more loss of life, which, you know, uh, above a baseline, which is already like absolutely jaw dropping and like that we will never fully be able to wrap our heads around. So, but bringing it back to the workplace, you know, tools like Slack and Zoom being in place, um, having already achieved what I would say is mainstream adoption, but being poised to leap into like a variety of other use cases, you know, to education, to non-knowledge workers, meaning um, folks that maybe historically have not relied as heavily on software for their day-to-day, but now actually needed to because they were either working remotely or they just were like working in different modes. It's not a surprise to me because I spent, of course, like four years working on Slack. (laughs) But I do think that the Band-Aid has been ripped off. And so, you know, the fact that families now, you know, have family Zooms on the weekend and things like that, you know, it's really incredible. And it's the sort of thing that probably a lot of PMs talked about how like this was possible with the things they were building. But it really did sort of take this exogenous event to shift behaviors, which is similar to what I saw around nearby with e-commerce, which is that Shopify and Squarespace and Square and all these things already exist but they were there and waiting when the moment presented itself where people you know, truly were amenable to try them. So I think the future of remote work is here to stay. A lot of companies have made decisions during the last year that are at the very least going to have longer lasting impacts. They've hired people all over the the country or even all over the world. They've changed employer policies that mean that their employees have made life decisions like moving location or a different home setup in some way that met their needs better. And so I don't think it just flips on a dime overnight back to some sense of normal. And I think that that's a good thing because it's democratized access to Work at these tech companies regardless of your location, regardless of your family setup, regardless of a lot of other factors. All that being said, we cannot ignore the fact that the exit of women in particular from the workforce is incredibly alarming. And so we have to like dig at that and figure out how do we wind that back. And I don't think the answer to that is like, we need to be in offices. I do think that there are some ways in which some forward progress in a lot of arenas in the social sphere has been unwound by this pandemic. And I think that it would be a huge miss for us not to inspect that as we think about what the new normal becomes.
0: Absolutely. I know for a lot of companies, this wasn't just about the pandemic. It was just trying to understand this impact and all of these changes in the lives of their employees. And so what does that do for people that don't return to the workforce? You mentioned women, but also across lots of, let's say, underrepresented groups. I know that in addition to nearby, you are also one of the founders of Angels. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that as well, because your investment portfolio at this point it, you know is spans more than 100 different companies and many of them have some of those common platform approaches to solving problems how do you see that fitting in to what you just described really enabling or trying to bring forward opportunities to whether it's women or other underrepresented groups because it does seem like that that was one of the core visions and i, I don't know when did angel start
1: We started in 2015.
0: Yeah. And so to think of, you know, how much work and effort's already been done there, how does that tie in for your vision of where things will go with the right investments and getting those groups more represented or maybe even just more access to opportunities, certainly from an investment perspective?
1: Yeah. Well, so when we started in 2015, I I believe in our first blog post, we sort of asserted that like, you know, there's not a technology sector anymore every company is a technology company. And if you fast forward to 2021, I would say that, you know, it, that it's even more fine grained than that. Daily, for example, is a platform that brings video communication into any application because now any, any application needs to have a video communication component. And so like, it's just becoming sort of more and more fine grain where these technologies that we used to view as a standalone business, a standalone product, over time do sort of get decomposed into these platform plays and these feature sets that need to be remixed together for different use cases, along with net new technology. And I think we see that, you know, we've seen that in healthcare, we're seeing that in education, we're seeing that in so many different sectors where it used to be the case that you would You know, you see a company that was just going and trying to build an entire set of, you know, the entire tool set for a certain sector, sort of full stack. But now the feature expectations and the quality of experience that are expected are so broad that almost any of these companies is going to be thinking about the different third-party APIs and products and features that they're going to incorporate in what they're doing. And I think we'll see that also extend outside of the software sector into things like, you know, Last mile delivery, for example, like like a total decentralization and just fragmentation of these services, so that every company can offer the same quality of service because somebody has like something as a serviceified almost anything that you can do, and that's great. I think it's great for our entrepreneurs. It's good for customers because it means just like the overall level of experience is improving across the board. And so if you look at the hashtag Angels portfolio, you see a mix of bets we've made on people who really understand a sector or an audience and are going after that, combined with a handful of founders that have instead really developed specialization in a specific set of functionality or in a specific technology. And then the combinations of those things can get really interesting over time when you kind of see how your portfolio matures over, you know, the course of six years.
0: There's a book called The Future is Faster Than You Think. And it actually touches upon some of the things you're talking about, which is we're living in this time where, you know, early on in the twentieth century, it was sort of like if you took electricity and combined it with one other thing, anything, you'd go from like a screwdriver to a power screwdriver. And that was a huge amount of of the confluence of just one new technology. But now you talk about the sassification or the 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 appification of any sort of major need, which is what we're seeing that acceleration of. And you have literally dozens of Venn diagrams of overlap of what you could build uh, relatively quickly now compared to when I think of starting in, you know, the the 90s where you need 15 people just to get, you know, a website up. Now it's it's all those different technologies. So I think that is a very do you, do you see that, though, that where if there are all these sorts of technologies that are making those components or those atomic level units finally accessible, that they can be built into new businesses. Is that one of the avenues where you you think we can bring opportunity to sort of the underrepresented or people just with differing ideas to where those tools make it easier for them to build upon? Uh, Because I'm curious from the angel side, if that was is that part of the investment thesis of these are either underrepresented people that are managing or starting or founding these companies? Or is it also the technologies themselves that get you excited about what they might build when unleashed?
1: We invest in the best teams we can back across the board. And last time we ran the stats, and these numbers will be a little out of date, uh, roughly a third of our founders were women or founding teams, ha- included a woman. But I mean, I think the thing to know is that we have backed a really broad portfolio of founders. And we have absolutely, we backed everything from first-time founders who really seem to have an insight about an audience. I think of, for example, uh, Janet Messerschmidt, on the, uh, who's one of my, my partners, invested in Cameo very early. On. That's gone on to be a great success. A few of us were were very early investors in Clubhouse, which was a, you know, serial founding team that um that brought a lot of experience, but had this new insight and this new opportunity that they were going after. And so those are on the consumer side. But when you look at the SaaS and the B2B side, you know, it is oftentimes a team that has maybe worked in a, a company at some more scale. They maybe worked at Slack, like Balsa, or they worked at other places. And then they in that work identify. Some unmet need, and they go tackle it. And I think that, you know, wherever people get their inspiration from, for me, for nearby, it was walking down the street in my own hometown. For some people, they find their inspiration through the work that they're doing and the challenges that they're bumping into with the software tools that they're using. So, you know, that inspiration can come from all all over the place. But I do think that, you know, we've got a handful of founders where that experience is rooted in their personal experience growing up in the community that they were a part of. There are a lot of examples of those. I don't have one offhand, to be totally honest, but we back the best founders we can across the board.
0: Excellent. And and so getting towards the end here in terms of local, I want to just get your your thoughts on going back to nearby and what is the future of local you're empowering these people you're bringing not only the services but the platform to the forefront helping them adjust not only to let's say the last 12 months of craziness but also what is the future for those local businesses what do you want to see the future of local being especially when it comes to from from our perspective from a uh, sort of the yek side of how do you how do you see this playing out, finding those businesses, working with those businesses? What is the future that you see with nearby that you can sort of really hope to attain with this effort?
1: Yeah. In the future, local businesses like the ones we work with today in Oakland will be able to compete not just for the local retail spend, but they will participate in an ecosystem that allows them to compete against the biggest e-commerce players in, in the market where consumers will not have to make a choice between convenience and shopping local, but they will instead be able to get that same quality of sort of digital experience and logistics that they get from like an Amazon. They'll be able to get that from the businesses down the street from them. And that's going to be really important because I believe that the the you know kind of secular trends are only going to continue, which is that people care where the money goes. They understand that how they spend is one way in which they can vote for the future they want to see, for the community they want to be a part of, for the identities that they think need to be supported, whether that's gender, race, LGBT. People are looking for avenues to be able to use their dollars, their daily activities to be able to be an engagement member of their community. And What we're building with Nearby offers an avenue for that. And, you know, it's not about us. Like, it's about us putting the infrastructure in the hands of these communities and allowing them to do their magic. But if we can, along the way, make it easy for you to choose to shop in Austin or shop in Charleston or shop in Brooklyn and be able to almost have commerce be this way for you to experience the world from behind your screen and do so in a way that benefits small business owners, there's going to be a lot of winners out of that. It's going to be a very virtuous cycle of, great jobs of vibrant communities of more people being able to thrive just in their own personal lives and their own financial stability through having access to being able to build a meaningful business that is offline and online. And that's what I'm really excited to to bring to the world.
0: And I look forward to the Roblox in, in, integration so my kids can walk down the street in Oakland right on their screen and go shopping because that that has to happen.
1: Exactly. They can do your grocery shopping for you or something. <laughs> exactly.
0: It's just, uh, yeah, right, right to the farmer's market. So a couple sort of last questions here. So number one, everybody that we have on, we want to talk to just sort of bold prediction, you know, next several years. What do you see? What's something you think that will really sort of hit the world that maybe we aren't thinking about, particularly when it comes to, let's say, local business or just in general?
1: Well, I think that a focus on climate is just going to become much more the norm, which it already is in plenty of other places in the world. But, you know, there's like a national retail federation stat that like 60% of consumers are willing to change their habits for the environment. 80% say they care about it, but 60% are willing to change. That's a good starting point. And so when people think about, you know, one of the most common refrains I hear when I talk to people about what we're building at nearby is that they just feel guilty about like all of the boxes at the front of their house. And so when we deliver something to your doorstep in Oakland, it shows up in a shop Bag And that's very much by design is we're trying to cut some of that waste out of the system, let alone get you something from down the street instead of across the country. And so I, I actually came to start this business from having spent a year trying to figure out how to put my experience to use around the climate crisis. And I came to the conclusion that companies like Stripe and Shopify that are led by founders who have just real conviction and like are truly putting their money where their mouth is in terms of using their platform as a force for positive. Positive impact on the climate was an avenue that kind of spoke to me which is like do what I know how to do build software build platforms you know at the at the top of my game and that if I do that that gives me the opportunity to use my platform as a force for good on this front so that's the thing I'm doing and I and I we're always thinking about the ways that we can use our platform to extend that opportunity to the consumer shopping on our site.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think people are sort of not just, as you said, globally, people have obviously been focused on climate much more than perhaps here. Uh, but at the same time, it's coming and people are starting to sense it in different ways. And I think it's great to see how people are adding or changing their lives. and being local or focusing on locals, obviously a great way to approach it. Uh, another question for you. So at Yext, we're, we're a search company. We help people in terms of not only being found online, but also with natural language search, helping people engage their audience and understand what people are asking for instead of just sort of classic marketing. We want people to be able to ask a question of any business, a local business or elsewhere, and get the authoritative answer directly from that business to ensure that it's accurate and that they have a great customer journey. So I always like to ask, what's, like the best search experience you've had in the last, you know, month or last, you know, few months. And and then, and then also what's the worst? Is there one where you just said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that came back. Like what, what, what are some good and bad search experiences you've had?
1: Yeah. I mean, I turned to Twitter for search to a high degree for real time information. And so for me, being able to keep track of the ebbs and flows of COVID stats, I was really grateful that those resources were out there. They were out there because there were people that were really doing the work to aggregate the data. And then others were amplifying the most accurate sources. And so it didn't get to it in a traditional web search way. I got to it through my use of the platform. And and over time really narrowing on in on the accounts that frankly were just doing the work for me. And so I think, you know, it was a classic sort of use case for why community-oriented search, let alone like real time, is important. And one of the things that I used to like to work on, you know, a decade ago at Twitter was was those sorts of problems. So grateful for Twitter during these times. People sometimes ask me, like, how did you find out about this or that? And I'm like, I don't I actually can't answer the question. I just know the answer is Twitter. <laughs> So I'm gonna give a plug there that Twitter is still my trusted source for a lot of information. And then I I think it's probably obvious, but the worst example I gave, and I'm gonna leave the platform, the name out of it, but you know, when I started thinking about building nearby, I went to go kind of just refresh my memory as to how local search is going. And, you know, I went to look for clothing stores in my town of San Anselmo and, you know, didn't quite find them through my first source. And so then I went to another, you know, sort of local discovery source. And the closest ones that were shown to me were across bridges from me. They were in Oakland or they were in San Francisco. And those were because those were the paid results. And so this is like, this is at the core, part of the reason we're going after a commerce opportunity with Nearby, because you kind of got to get the ads out of the way if you're going to help people actually find what they're looking for. It's challenging for everybody. And I say that as somebody who's worked at companies that have built great advertising businesses. So they have their utility. But in terms of local search, I still think that discovery is a huge challenge. And there's no destination that is truly trusted. And I hope that over time, if we're successful, we can be that for a lot of communities.
0: Well, absolutely. That is so needed. I always think back to... um the paper in 1998 that ultimately created Google. And in the addendum, there's a little section that says, very quietly, but so brilliant to see it so long ago to say, advertising supported search engines will be inherently biased towards the advertisers and away from the needs of consumers. And look, I give, look, there's nothing greater than what search has done in terms of knowledge transfer and knowledge opening up. It's amazing. But to your point, it still has such a far way to go, particularly for local and or other data sets or businesses that just don't have the ability to sort of pay to play. So I definitely agree. And then one last question for you. So we do, I pass the mic here. So just a segment where we invite uh, Um, someone that you pick, uh, someone that you think could also help us understand where things are going on the next wave. Who do you think we should have on the podcast after you?
1: Great question. We've got so many great founders in the hashtag angels portfolio. So let's see. I think I would probably focus on the role of voice, given how important voice currently is, particularly about remote work, but it's not just remote work. It's healthcare and it's it's everything else. So I would think of the founders of Daily Co. They're just a really fantastic team, just raised another round, and they're just seeing a ton of adoption.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, we will definitely uh, reach out and try and see if we can get them to come on. Well, I can't thank you enough, April. It's been outstanding. Wish you the best of luck, obviously with nearby and hashtag Adrels probably doesn't need luck. It's done quite well, but um, certainly really looking forward to watching where you go with nearby and hope to talk to you soon in the future.
1: Thanks so much for having me. <laughs>